This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. When it rained, all the kids in the refugee camp would shout and rush out of their huts and run towards the field where we played. We would jump around and dance, playing with a soccer ball made out of plastic strips. Some of the most joyous times in the camp were playing barefoot in the rain with my friends. In those moments, the world outside our play didn't seem to matter. But inside our small huts, our mothers had a different view of rain. They would collect all the buckets and bowls they could find, running around trying to catch the water pouring down leaky roofs into the dirt floors. The thunder and lightning would come, the leaks would grow more into floods, and our homes would become muddy, watery messes. Every life is a journey. But some New Zealanders have had extraordinary journeys to get here. My name is Srizana. I am a 23-year-old Kiwi, Bhutanese, Nepalese. I was born and raised in a refugee camp in Nepal. Getting here. Migration journeys to New Zealand. They call it the happiest country in the world. Plenty of land, cattle, crops everywhere. They said people never seem to want for anything. My family were farmers, living peacefully in Bhutan. But there is a dark history there. <laughs> Perhaps it's mostly been forgotten now. But it's not easy for me to forget here in New Zealand. It was in the early 90s. News came of farmers walking the land, being taken to jail and tortured or even brutally killed. Their daughters, fetching water or wandering away from their homes, were raped and then murdered. Fear grew in the villages. No one really understood why this was happening. One morning, the people saw armed groups of men entering the village, kicking civilians out of their houses, looting and forcefully taking them into custody if they refused to leave everything behind. Apparently, my people, the Lochampas people, were being deported in mass, driven out of our villages and farms by the Bhutanese king and his forces and later it would be called ethnic cleansing. I wasn't there. I wasn't even born yet. 
My parents were teenagers when they were driven out of Bhutan with their families. They became stranded in Nepal and eventually became stateless refugees. I heard these stories as a child. My auntie tells me about the day they left. It was her beloved dog that she remembers most vividly. She and her sisters were crying because they wanted to take their dogs with them. But as hundreds of people tried to cramp onto a bus, there wasn't enough space for everyone. The dog had to stay behind, even as guns fired around them. She tells me about the last look in his eyes, how guilty she felt for leaving him behind and how he ran after the bus miles and miles until he became too exhausted to catch up. My mom told me I was born in February, a very cold winter month in Nepal. We lived in a refugee camp with thousands of other Lotsampa people. As my mom gave birth, there were no doctors, no midwives, only a few ladies from our neighborhood who didn't know what to do. My mom was 17 years old and I was her first child. All that the woman could do was console her and pray. Later, when my mom talked about the day, I could hear pain in her voice. She had been so scared, scared about not being able to successfully give birth and scared about the future of her child in a world we lived in. Our small huts were made out of sticks and plastic scraps. Its floor was the earth, there was no door, only a cloth hanging over a doorway for privacy. Cold wind whistled through the hut as I finally came into this world. My mother said, I ripped up my skirt to cover you, as we didn't even have a blanket. I didn't know if I could keep you warm all winter. I was so scared. That is how you were born, Trizana. My first memory is laying on a cold floor, looking up and seeing nothing but darkness. It was the roof of our hut covered with black plastic. I was probably three or four years old. I was a typical child, just like any other in the world, wanting to be loved and embraced, running and playing around with friends, wishing I could have toys and dolls wear pretty dresses, just to be happy. But that isn't how most children in the refugee camps lived. I remember being hungry a lot. Food were very limited in the refugee camp. The extra miles that our parents would have to go so we could have something to eat at night. 
and some of the families even passed away because the mushrooms and berries they bought from the forest were poisonous. And how they would have to sacrifice their meal so children could eat at night. But sometimes even that wasn't enough and we would have to sleep on an empty stomach. I don't like food being waste because every time when I see that, I remember how my mom would put stone in the burning coal and she would tell me that it's potatoes until I would fall asleep thinking we are going to have some potatoes for dinner but we didn't have any and I would remember the times that we would pick mud from our <laughs> stove which was made out of mud there would be no food in the kitchen there's no fridge there's nothing at all and seeing that red mud that was being heated by the fire and its fragrance and we would just pick it out and eat and it felt disgusting but there was nothing else to put in our mouth and sometimes we would even put loose tea in our mouth and just chew onto it and that was even lucky because some of the other kids wouldn't even have that they would just be lying on the cold floor just crying because they are hungry remember a lot of very gloomy, confusing days. There were so many questions in my head. What were those stories of kidnapping of young girls all about? Were there other places in the world where people could live peacefully? Why were we looked down upon by the local people? I was about six years old when I remember I made my first trip out of the refugee camp to a local Nepali village. I was with my older cousin. The houses were like proper houses there, not made out of sticks and plastic like ours. They had electricity and lights, not kerosene lamps and candles. They could watch TV every day. I couldn't believe it. What a luxury that must have been. I would daydream about it, wishing I could have that life one day. But I tried not to think about it too much and let the negative thoughts get in the ways of being grateful. But it still sort of got under my skin, even back then. Why, I thought. Were our lives so different from theirs, just because we came from a different place? We were the same ethnicity, spoke the same language as the local people, and I was even born there. But they even called us names and made fun of us because we lived in a slum. But why were we even living there? On the inside, I knew I was nice. I was a good daughter and a good student. So why did they look down on us? As we walked through the village, 
my eyes popping out of my head at all the double-story houses. My cousin told me to pretend like we were from the village, not the refugee camp. He said, if someone starts shouting at you, take off your sandals, put them in your hands, and run away as fast as you can. He had been chased out of the village before, so he knew just what to do. People from the refugee camp rarely spoke to the local Nepali people. They were considered a Babas, a higher status. To this day, I find that the strangest thing. Sometimes, I would go alone to this little stream to play. I would dip my feet in the nice refreshing water, make up stories in my mind, and enjoy the sound of the water instead of noisy camps. It was like my own little secret place, even though I sometimes saw other kids there. I knew my mom would never let me go anywhere that isolated, but I didn't really understand how dangerous it was. I was maybe four or five years old. My auntie caught me there once. She took me home and I got in a big trouble with mom. She yelled at me and said I was never to return there again. The very next day, a girl my age was found dead near the spot my auntie had caught me. The girl's clothes were torn. She was half undressed and her body was laying by the stream. I overheard my mom and my auntie talking about it. Then mom yelled at me some more saying that it could have been me. I could feel a pull in my heart. Who was that dead girl? Had she been someone I knew? As the years passed, this kind of things happened again and again and again. A neighbor was killed by someone intentionally riding a bike over his neck. My uncle's neighbor was found dead with his limbs cut off from his body. This man, who I used to call brother, I used to see him going past our street. And all the kids would want to run after him, play with him, because he was so nice and kind and playful. And he was found dead nearby the water stream. He was dismembered in such an unbelievable way, treating his body as if it were a toy or an experiment for someone's pleasure. My people, the Lotsampas, were called Bhutani Sarnarthi by the local people in Nepal. This means Bhutanese refugee, but it has a negative meaning over there. But even though there would be times when the violence settled down and we thought things were getting better, we learned about another Bhutani Sarnarthi being raped or gone missing or their bodies was found. And every time this happened, it felt like a big slap in my face. A slap on my life. My child's mind could never understand why this happened to us. But then, 
I would snap out of my confusion and want to go out and play. I wanted to feel brave and free and strong. I remember seeing a butterfly passing outside my open window. I would chase after it with an excitement to make it mine. I would daydream about having wings. How great would it be? I could just fly away if I face any danger. I was raised as a Hindu so I believed in reincarnation, becoming a bird or a butterfly in an open sky. But I didn't want to be born as a human again in my next life. It was too hard, I thought, to be a human. So I prayed to be made into a bird and live in the tallest tree where nothing could touch me. I could travel the world and no one could harm me. My friends and I would scream in delight when we saw an aeroplane fly overhead. I guess it was the joy of seeing something that was beyond our reach. We would shout, which means, Aeroplane, take us to Bhutan. I didn't really understand what and where Bhutan was. But we knew the older people in the camps wanted to go there, to escape to this other, better place. Maybe we thought the aeroplanes could take us there, because every time we asked where Bhutan was, they would always point at the sky. It's funny, looking back on my childhood. Now I see that I have like those seemingly magical planes, travel to the other side of the world, to New Zealand. Life is better here. But I've also learned that wherever you go, there will always be things that can harm you. I would wake up around 4, 4.30 each morning with Sankaguni, this tune, playing on a radio from a far distance. It was time to fetch the water. I would grab containers, jerry cans to go to the water tap. If I was late, the water would run out and we wouldn't have anything for the day. I would then sometimes look for fresh flowers for my mom, then head home to pray. There was no breakfast, well, sometimes if we had leftovers. The sound of the looms would have begun by then. I remember the constant hum of the pinwheel looms, which the woman in the nearby hut used to weave cloth to eke out a little money for food. We went to school at the refugee camp. The refugees volunteered to teach. It was crowded in the classroom. The schools were same as huts, made out of bamboos and plastics. We would sit on the floor, even though it was crowded, but we all worked hard to learn to read and write. 
My first school was close by, but the second one was about an hour walk from our hut. So my days were long and full of a lot of running around. When I got to about eight years old, I realized I could help my mom buy food to have with our rice by selling things in the camp. My uncle used to work at this place at a Nepali house, which was in a local village three hours' walk from our hut. And I heard that they had sugarcane growing on it. So I walked there with my cousin to gather a few of the stalks. We would cut them into smaller sticks and sell them on the paths in the little market stalls around the camp. Or I would roam around the camp with a big basket on my head, selling bananas and berries. I knew it wasn't safe to wander around on my own in the camp. Kidnapping and rape were pretty common to young girls. But it was still worth seeing the look on my mom's face, seeing some cash that I had made. With some of the money I made, I eventually bought little chicks which just hatched. I raised them by myself, and when they started laying eggs, I would sell those too, or their chicks. By the age of 10, I found myself being quite business-orientated always looking for ways to make little money so that our rice wasn't plain every night and I could buy more books and pens. Not long before we left the camp, I even bought a baby goat. Lots of kids in the camp didn't have any parents. Even though my dad was always in India for most of my childhood, I had mom with me, which made me feel lucky. I was content with my life and tried to make the best of it, not really knowing what life was like in the outside world. At night, the adults would latch down the ties on their roofs and walls, securing the little bit of what they had as their own. One night... I was awakened in the middle of the night by my mom screaming my name. Trizana! It was pitch black. The kerosene lamp had gone out. I could hear the wild wind and the heavy rain. I realized I was completely soaked with rainwater. Our roof had blown away and water was flowing inside our hut. I couldn't see my mom, but I could hear her screaming out for me. I shouted at her, terrified of the storm in darkness. I sat in the wet blackness and just called her name over and over. Finally, I could feel her wet hands reaching out to me. She urgently wrapped me in a blanket and lifted me up. Outside, people's roof and parts of their huts were flying everywhere in the darkness. Things were falling around us, branches, sheets of bamboo roofing, rubbish. My mom carried me on her hip, struggling against the wind, trying to find shelter in a neighbor's home or somewhere else. I can't remember what happened next. I was so young, 
and really, my mom was too. She was a year younger than me right now. She was 22 at that time. My dad was usually in India, studying and trying to find work. But these images, these memories of my early life growing up in a refugee camp, they remind me that we tried to make the best we could out of everything. We tried to be happy, despite our hunger, our boredom, our needs that were rarely met. We tried to be happy in the rain, dancing, laughing, being cool instead of hot. But it seemed like every time we were happy, we had to pay a heavy price. Nothing came free. Nothing was easy. Should I pray for the rain or not? It brings happiness and excitement, but it brings destruction and fear too. Over 100,000 Bhutanese lived in refugee camp in Nepal after the ethnic cleansing of Lotsampas from Bhutan in early 1990s. The UNHCR ran several camps to cope with the increasing numbers of people claiming asylum. The UN provided monthly supplies of rice, oil, lentils, sugar, and salt. But the rations wouldn't often last and, with no employment or other source of income, it was all we had to survive on. By 2007, I was 10 and had been born in the camp. We started hearing rumors about UN not wanting to help us anymore, that the food supplies were going to be cut off, this bred other rumors that my people would be enslaved or even killed just to get rid of us. Fear and anxiety grew and people became suspicious and untrusting of each other. Then, there was talk of some of us being relocated to other countries. Countries that were nothing like Bhutan or Nepal. Groups formed that refused to go anywhere else. They insisted on being able to safely return to their own country, to Bhutan, to their homes, their families there, and to be buried next to their own ancestors, even after so many years had passed. In 2008, the UN announced it was undertaking a massive resettlement plan to relocate tens of thousands of Bhutanese people to America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and Europe. The refugees who resisted resettlement formed rebel groups. They believed we should be fighting our way back to Bhutan rather than leaving Nepal forever. The rebels began actively targeting those families who applied for refugee status to go overseas. So when my mom said that we were going to go on an interview to try to find us a home in another country, she told me it was a big secret. If we told anyone else that we could be leaving, they might hurt us. We couldn't even tell our families. To be honest, 
I don't really know if my parents would have taken that risk if it weren't for my little sister, Bidia. She was born eight years after me with a rare heart condition. There was no treatment for her in Nepal. My parents were prepared to be enslaved or even killed for the benefit of their children. But they weren't prepared to risk their daughter's life by letting her languish away without the medical treatment she needed to survive. By then, my mom was pregnant with a third child. We went to a few interviews, I think. I can't really remember how many. But I do remember having to keep it top secret from my friends and neighbors at the camp. Lying was very difficult for me. At one of these interviews, I saw a man with dark black skin and shining straight teeth. He was so friendly to me and my sister, making funny faces at us, smiling warmly to make us feel less nervous. He gave me this warm and safe feeling in my tummy. I was both fascinated by him and comforted by him. I will never forget his name. Gaba. One night, I was 11 years old. My parents told me that we were leaving Nepal the very next day. We packed a few things, just a change of clothes and our documents. My dad left the refugee camp at night with our small bags so that it wouldn't draw any attention in the daylight. We were one of the first families to flee and the rebels were very powerful by this time. In the morning, my mom told our neighbor and some of our family members that we were going right then. Everyone started crying. As a kid, I didn't really understand that this would be the last time I would ever see them. Maybe in my entire lifetime. There was no proper goodbye to the people that I had spent my entire life with. The childhood friends, the extended family, the neighbors that meant so much to me. It was such a rush and we just needed to leave quickly that early morning. My uncle guarded us as we walked through the camp with our heavily pregnant mum and my two-year-old sister. We got onto the bus, which would take us to the UNHCR office, and I've never seen my childhood home ever again. The next chapter of my life Away from hunger, away from violence, away from everything that I had known, had begun. It was like a dream. This time, I wasn't running after airplanes in the sky. I was inside one. I felt like I was floating through a magical world. We had a layover in Hong Kong. I saw buildings touching the sky, clean, straight hallways as far as my eyes could see, 
people dressed in strange clothes that were white and unwrinkled. Am I alive? Or is this a fantasy? took a bus from Auckland Airport to Mangre Refugee Centre. The streets, the houses, the lamppost, the people, everything was new to me. I leaned my head against the window and watched this weird world pass by me. It was like a different planet. We were with a few other Bhutanese refugee families. Everyone was so nervous. Suddenly, we turned from a busy road into a long driveway with no more houses and streets, but big shipping containers. We had heard stories about women and children being imprisoned in windowless rooms, treated as sex slaves. We feared this was going to be our fate too. Some of the women started crying. Their small children did too. What was in store for us? We saw a high gate open as we passed, closing behind us. There is no escaping now. My heart was pounding loudly. Is this New Zealand? The place we thought was safe. It didn't seem to be safe anymore. We walked anxiously off the bus, carrying what few positions we had. And then, I saw a familiar face waiting for us. It was Kaba. I nudged my younger sister that Kaba was here, the friendly guy from our interviews in Nepal. In that moment, seeing his smiling face, remembering how kind he was, I felt safe. Tangata Fenua greeted us as we approached our new home, Aotearoa, New Zealand. Vihaka. I had no idea then what their spears and shouts were for. We were all so scared and unfamiliar with these new ways. As I've grown, accepted my fate, worked hard at helping people like me integrate. I can now see how complicated and wonderful my life was in Nepal. But as I said earlier, I've learned that wherever you go, there will always be things that can harm you. Although my family finally reached safety, we escaped from the violence and suffering of the refugee camp. My sister Bidia received the medical treatment for her heart that she needed. And we had a decent house and plenty of food in ways that I could only ever dreamed of as a child. 
Despite all this, everywhere in life, there is suffering. In 2016, by then I had completed my high school and I was going to Otago University doing health science. My family dropped me off in Dunedin, the beginning of my next chapter of life as a medical student. My mother and younger brother, who was only seven months, were, were tragically killed in a car accident when returning back to Christchurch. Now, I am the mother in my family, like my own mother, who at 17 years old gave birth to me alone in a freezing hut made of sticks and plastic, who rescued me from a horrific storm in her early 20s, and who migrated with a young family to New Zealand to learn yet another new language and ways of life. I try to be the strength that carries on for others. Born in a Nepali refugee camp of Bhutanese parents that had been mass deported from their country because of our tribe's 400-year-old roots in Nepal. Arriving in New Zealand as a young adolescent, a place that has nothing linguistically, culturally, religiously or historically in common with where I'm from. Nepali society labeled us as Bhutani Sarnarthi, Bhutanese refugee, and never gave us our place of dignity or treated us with respect. Although our people were originally from there, speaking the same language and sharing the same culture. Identity? What is that? Qualities, kinship, values, sub-tribe, geography? My identity. I was so confused as a child, and now, as a 23-year-old, I still am. Who am I? What am I? I'm not accepted in my motherland Bhutan, neither in my ancestors' birthplace Nepal. The place where I was raised, the hut, the neighborhood, the refugee camp is no longer there. There is nothing my people can draw on to help us figure out who we are. I am very grateful to our Tangata Whenua for allowing my family to feel at home in Aotearoa. New Zealand is the first country that I could call home. Thank you for listening to my story and being part of my yet another journey for me. This is just a teaser of 10 years life being born and raised in the refugee camp. 
which plays a very significant role in my life and with what I do in the communities in New Zealand. One podcast would never be enough. However, I am grateful to have the opportunity to share some of my early childhood memories with you all. Special thanks goes to Plains FM for giving me the platform, the Office of Ethnic Communities for funding this project, original music by Finn Hart-Hobman and Sankaduni, Risham Firiri and Mix Music, sound engineering by Bryony Lastovica. This podcast was written and produced by Lana Hart and myself, Trizana Tetri. And I just want to take this opportunity, this moment to honor my mom and thank both of my parents for doing whatever they could to protect us. And I am here today. If they hadn't made that decision, if the UN wasn't there, we would have never made it. And thank you for all the volunteers that helped us to be settled in New Zealand and all the amazing people, lovely people that we have come across. <laughs>